MedCast. This is Dr. Chris Bigazinski of Maine Medical Partners. Uh, joining me today is Dr. Cindy Chang of the University of California, San Francisco, and today we'll be discussing sleep. Historically, one of the longest overlooked areas for improved sports performance is something that everyone does for about a third of their lives, sleep. To discuss sleep and its role in sports performance, we have with us Dr. Cindy Chang, professor in the Departments of Orthopedic Surgery and Family and Community Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Chang is also a former president of AMSSM and served as a head team physician at the University of California, Berkeley, as well as serving as the chief medical officer for Team USA during the 2008 Beijing Paralympics and the 2012 London Olympics. Welcome, Dr. Cindy Chang. Thank you. Tell us, how did you develop an interest in sleep and how it relates to athletic performance? I first found it in myself, actually. Uh, I knew that if I didn't get enough sleep, I wasn't... Uh, performing well athletically or academically and certainly it wasn't something I pursued because we all needed to cram in uh, those last few hours of of, uh, test taking uh, questions etc but then as I began to work with athletes I found that it ran true in athletes as well in terms of athletes even at the high school and college level and is that they were unable to really standardize their sleeping because of the challenges and academics and athletics and i found that there was really a disconnect between that time frame of when to go to sleep how late to stay up uh, what time to get up in the morning especially if they had early morning practices and once the elite athletes came to become the professional athletes or the olympic athletes they actually had more control over their time and where they were able to structure their sleep and their restful times and their weekends a lot better. They matured, they didn't need to go out late at night to blow off steam. And it was interesting to see the differences in how the athletes trained and felt based on the regulation of their sleep at night. I think anecdotally myself, I've noticed things, for example, when I wear a heart rate monitor and go cycling on the days that I don't get enough sleep a day or two before, I can't get my heart rate as high as I would normally. What does the data show or what does the research show on some of the benefits of sleep for athletes in this regard? We, It's very interesting that you talk about the heart rate and you talk about the uh, control of blood pressure and some of the cardiovascular changes that can happen when you have poor sleep quality and or duration and we know that there's a connection between sleep uh, both quality and quantity as well as then other factors for example insulin resistance and glucose uh, elevation of glucose and those factors all lead to metabolic syndrome in fact and it can lead to other hormonal dysregulation which can then lead to weight changes. And so there's now even more than we used to know, a connection between uh, sleep, behavior, as well as then all the metabolic processes that are going on in our body. So I think it's really important. Some of the heart rate monitors that people are using, some of the monitors that you're using at, 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 at nighttime to evaluate what's restful sleep or not. I think the jury's still out in terms of which ones of these are going to prove to be beneficial. A lot of it is also behavioral. A lot of people get very excited in the very beginning about looking at some of these, you know, these heart rate monitors and some of these other factors. 
and then they 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 fall off they fall off a little bit because they that high tech wear they lose the excitement of it but i think that there is definitely data that it's starting to show a causality between sleep and uh and not only sleep and performance and sleep and emotions and uh, mental health but also sleep and dysregulation of certain bodily uh, functions and hormone regulation that can cause some pretty dire consequences down the road. Injury prevention and injury prediction are really one of the holy grails of elite sports. There's a lot of teams now that are spending millions of dollars on motion analysis software, for example, where they can uh, record players running up and down the court and try to predict whether or not they're getting fatigued. Can getting adequate sleep decrease injury risk, or conversely, can not getting enough sleep increase the risk of injury? If you look at studies that have been done, and certainly there's different qualities, when we look at the level of evidence, we always want to look at really high-quality evidence, you know, those randomized, controlled, double-blind studies, which are challenging to do. But some of the studies that have been done definitely show that when you decrease sleep, you increase your risk of injury. And conversely, with more sleep, you can decrease your risk. It is not just injury. It's also um, medical illnesses. Uh, study, studies have shown that if you have less than four hours of sleep, you have a four times increased risk of catching a cold. And you, you'll notice through this conversation that I like to keep my numbers uh, easy for me to remember as I, as I talk to my patients about it. So that's a good one to remember if you have less than four hours of sleep your risk is four times higher of catching the common cold which will take you out of sport um and i like this other one is that if you have less than eight hours of sleep you have 1.8 times higher risk of injury and those are the numbers i remember they may be a little bit off by a, a bit but those are the numbers that help me remember that when i talk to my athletes about how important sleep is that's great we'll have to call that the dr chang rules for sleep that's excellent um there's some general research out and uh, for the public about how many people may be sleep deprived and oftentimes that comes in highway statistics for example of drowsy driving or sleepy driving and uh, I read recently that somewhere around a third or even up to 50% of folks in the general population might be sleep deprived. Do we have any idea what this number might be for athletes? You're absolutely right in terms of we've got a lot of good numbers for the general population. And, and here's another one, Chris, that I, I like to tell people is that 40% of adults, and this is a pretty large study, and I think it was done through, I want to say the CDC, but I could be wrong, but it was a large surveillance study that was done. So 40% of 40,000 adults. So that's a good number to remember, too. 40% of 40,000 adults uh, reported less than six hours of sleep. Now, if we look, and I want everyone to, to put this in their mind, too, that there's a website called the National Sleep Foundation, and they have an incredible wealth of information about a variety of topics related to sleep. And the National Sleep Foundation has recommendations of sleep uh depending on how old you are so if we're if we're a 
primarily dealing or we're seeing younger athletes in our office versus the older athletes in our office, there's definitely less sleep that's needed as we get older, certainly, but we can get a good range, a good idea of how much sleep is needed, for example, in our uh, toddlers, for example, they need a whole bunch of sleep. For those of us who are parents, we know that. And then once you get older, the sleep tapers down to seven to eight hours uh, a night in someone that's in over their fi- over 50, for example. In our high school age group, of which we deal with quite a bit, they should be getting at least 10 hours of sleep. And we know that that's not happening, especially once we get to the high school and the demands of academics and athletics, they're not getting as much sleep as they need. So I think I forgot your question, Chris, because I got on that bandwagon of <laughs> sleep we're getting. Can you repeat yeah. the question? I, I think it was specifically along the lines of athletes, but I, I, those numbers are really eye-opening, and I think that was my experience working for a big Division One college, the same experience that you've had. A lot of athletes come in the training room, and you start getting a sleep diary, and they say, oh, I go to bed every night around 2 or 3 a.m., and then I have to get up at 6 or 7 a.m. to go to swim practice, and the uh, amount of sleep deprivation in right. NCAA sports is really profound. Yeah, so, okay, let me answer that. So in terms of the athletes, so in terms of general population, we've got good data um, in the general population, and we do have some college data as well. And as you know, the college students, like I said, they're spread really thin. They want to be social. They they want to do well in school. And so there's definitely um, prevalence data in, in that as well. And in, in, in athletes, uh, there have been some studies that have been done. Uh, there have been some mainly cross-sectional surveys. There are more surveys more than anything else. And you know about how hard that is when you try to get recall data, for example, or you're, or you're doing surveys and people are – because people are notoriously has been shown they are poor, poor estimators about the amount of sleep that they really get. They really are not good at, at estimating how much they sleep. When you ask them and then you actually have them in a sleep lab, it doesn't it doesn't come together at all. So it, it can range. It can range, at, you know, from anywhere from 50% to 80% of, of uh, college athletes will say um, that they've got poor sleep quality and they feel very sleepy in the daytime. And sleepiness in the daytime uh, equates to sleep deprivation where we want to sleep more and we we just haven't gotten enough sleep so the athletes do have um sometimes they've been shown some studies that maybe their sleep is comparable to uh to non-athletes but their quality of sleep changes because of anxiety about an upcoming performance or race um, or event and that can alter their sleep as well uh, we'll get back to wearable technology a little bit in a few minutes as that might uh, help us monitor sleep quality and duration. But I did want to ask you a little bit about jet lag. I'm speaking to you from Portland, Maine. You are in San Francisco, so we're about as far apart as we can get in the continental United States, three time zones away. A lot of our listeners have experienced jet lag before flying from location to location. And even a few years ago, gamblers started noticing that West Coast football teams had difficulty covering the spread when playing against East Coast teams having to travel across a number of time zones there's also been some data showing that baseball pitchers showed a drop off in pitching effectiveness when going across time zones uh, even to the point that now certain major league teams are shipping their pitchers out a few days early to help adjust to the new time zone Uh, what are some ways that professional athletes are combating this effect and what can non-elite athletes learn from this i uh, i'm glad you brought that up because What's happening at the professional level, and you know, as you know, things trickle down then to the college level. 
um, and even with high school teams, and some high school teams are traveling across time zones, is that there are studies that have shown that a lack of sleep does affect performance. And I will throw in, Chris, that not just performance, but a lack of sleep also affects emotional regulation. And so I don't want to forget about emotional regulation and moods because that can certainly impact athletic performance as well. So we, because you need concentration, you need to be able to remember plays, you need to make the right decisions when you're on the field. And if you get a lack of sleep, where you don't get you don't get enough sleep, it will definitely inf- impact that as well, which transfers over to athletic performance. So, besides uh, athletic performance, which is what a lot of the focus is on, I don't want us to forget that it does impair emotions and emotional regulation, and can add to uh, worsening of mental health disorders like anxiety, depression, um, besides the academic performance that is important at, at some of our levels of athletes, including our high school, um, middle school, and college athlete. So to get back to your question about um, time zone changes, um, so when these professional teams are looking at the importance of time zone changes, of course, what they're looking at is the data that has shown that the lack of sleep will affect athletic performance ranging from what you talked about, the velocity and the accuracy of baseball pitchers. It's been shown that the accuracy of free throws changes with decreased sleep, uh, tennis serves, uh, bat speed decreases. Uh, so all those things happen as well as decreased power. So weightlifting, free kicks on those, uh, with soccer players, that, those have been shown to be impaired. And the question is if there's a causality or an association but certainly lack of sleep has been associated. Uh, So in terms of doing the time zone, I think that, again, I'm going to refer you back to the National Sleep Foundation because on that website is a really awesome uh, jet lag calculator, they call it, where you can put in where you're traveling to, um, and then it will help you in terms of shifting your sleep schedule and shifting your um, time of uh, when you eat, et cetera, to match where you're going to end up. And as pro teams, and I will say actually athletes and Olympians as well, we show that in the Rio, in the Rio games, uh, depending because of television, primetime TV, et cetera, what the television audience was going to be, they moved some events to be shown when the primetime audience is going to be awake. And therefore, athletes had to adjust their schedule based on their performance Uh, when that competition was going to be in the city which was hosting that competition. And so moving time zones, for example, if you're going to be traveling to the east, uh, then moving your clock that way so that you are ready for performance. And, you know, if if east coast teams are going west and they're playing a night game, imagine how they feel when they should be in bed. They feel like they should be in bed. So a night game that starts at seven o'clock on the west coast is 10 o'clock for an east coast team and so they have got to change their clock before they play so that they're going to be at their peak performance uh and and i i see what's happening is pro athletes are actually standing up for themselves some more now and they're saying i don't want to play at this time or i don't want to have so many games in this time zone at this quantity of games in in this set amount of days because it's going to impair my sleep it's going to impair my recovery and it's going to impair my performance and increase my injury rate risk injury risk so they're really standing up for themselves now as well 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. When I worked in Major League Baseball, a lot of those games ended at uh, even uh, 10, 11, sometimes 12 o'clock, depending on rain delays. And then after the game, there's a wind-down period and then eating. And so the sleep cycles are really thrown off. It's almost like being a, a shift worker in a factory where you're working on the second or third shift. Like, I think it can really affect your health and performance from that standpoint. And uh, how does it affect you the next day when you're seeing patients? Oh, I mean, yeah, sir, absolutely. As well, because you don't want to wind down either, because you just came back from an exciting game, you saw injuries, and it's hard for us to wind down after we've covered a late football game or we're traveling back from an event. Uh, it's challenging for us as well as physicians, so we have to be aware of it as well. Uh, along the lines of uh, jet lag, is there any research or evidence to support the use of either uh, prescribed medications or dietary supplements to help with time adjustment? So I'm glad you asked that question. I, I think that there has been some dietary um, things that are looked at. Certainly athletes want what's natural. What's natural is, for example, looking at not at pharmacological interventions, but more dietary or other interventions. And so the only really high-quality research, although it's not really specific for athletes, has shown that um, cognitive behavioral therapy is uh, probably one of the most effective and considered a first-line treatment um, to help improve sleep. Um, especially in sleep with those with insomnia, people who can't just fall, who can't fall asleep. And if they can't fall asleep because of m multiple reasons, specific CBT will help with that. And um, that's hard, though. That's really hard uh, to do. But it's something that I think that we all should start to work on getting resources for our athletes in terms of helping them find strategies and how to overcome poor sleep rather than just turning to medication. So that's that's one thing. In terms of, you know, we, we talk about the tryptophan, right? Like tryptophan, the high turkey Thanksgiving meal makes us feel really tired. And, and the question is, is it just the tryptophan or is it other things? And so multiple studies tried to take a look at this and uh, found that maybe diets high in protein may result in improved sleep quality. It doesn't hurt to try that. And that diets high in fat uh, maybe too negatively would influence uh, total sleep time. Uh, didn't really look at quality, but looked at total sleep time and found that maybe a high-fat diet didn't because of uh, some discomfort with that. Uh, one thing that I will tell my patients is that if you have a diet that's high in carb, it may help in you know, helping you fall asleep sooner. The power of persuasion is really important as well, Chris. So I'm not going to discount the fact that 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 people want to try things you know if you just say ah, i don't know but if you give them some things and you say i am not really sure if this will help you but some studies have shown that it may help and then they can try it they can try to increase their uh high protein uh their diet you know their later meal their evening meal and make it a little bit higher in protein to see if that's going to improve their sleep quality it's something they can do certainly it's something they can do um we talk about, um, you know, people think melatonin is really natural, and it is, in fact. Uh, but the doses that are sold over the counter are, are really, truly a lot higher than what we actually naturally secrete. So if any athlete wants to try melatonin to help with their sleep latency, um, I will have them start at the absolute lowest dose that they can find 
on the shelf. But if it's a collegiate athlete who will be drug tested, I warn them that they have to be aware that whatever they put in their body, they're responsible for. And because it's not regulated by the FDA, there certainly could be products in there that may end up resulting in a positive drug test. Although I don't know and I haven't heard of any cases where that's been a fact um, that they something's been put in the melatonin. Uh, but you definitely have to find a high quality brand name and, before you can recommend that. And then you want them to call you know, WADA or USADA or the NSA uh, line to make sure that the product that they have is okay. Those are the, um, the natural uh, type of sleep aids. And then we can get into the pharmacological ones. I mean, people like the nighttime diphenhydramine type of aids. And as you know, there's the grogginess that, that people feel in the morning after being on diphenhydramine as long as, as well as some other side effects. And that's the same as goes for uh, benzodiazepines. They're the non-benzodiazepines that have been found to be, quote, safer. But certainly a, a long discussion has to be held with the athlete about potential side effects. Um, and and uh, But if you weigh not being able to sleep, having a a small hangover effect, you may you may decide along with the athlete that that we need to get him a few good days of sleep. That's great. I think in my own practice, I've been overlooking the uh, benefit of cognitive behavioral therapy for things like sleep, especially in athletes, and that's a, a area I should pursue myself uh, even more. And also taking advantage of uh, the placebo effect, for lack of a better word, especially for a low risk intervention, can be really powerful. I think those are great points. Well, Chris, the, and I don't mean to make CBT think, sound like it's this huge thing that someone's got to see a psychologist for. I mean, these are, these are. sometimes I'll say to patients and my athletes, I, I'm not sure why you can't fall asleep or why you're having challenges sleeping. And we'll discuss stress and we'll discuss, you know, relationships. And you discuss all kinds of things. You know, how, how is the mood of the team and how is your relationship with your, your peer group and your athletes and your coach, et cetera. But then it comes down to, okay, we can't maybe address all of these other issues, but we can address what the athlete can do. So I think about CBT as really we're not addressing the cause, but we're addressing what the athlete can do. And that's where it comes into this whole concept of sleep hygiene, where you put away the computer and the screens, you know, including your phone for an hour before you fall asleep. And I always bring up, you know, before we had these bright lights and these fluorescent lights, et cetera, we had candlelight, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I just kind of, I say this facetiously, but, but candlelight. And when, when the sun went down is when we started to secrete melatonin. Uh, and that's what made us sleepy. And what's keeping us, us awake can be all this other stimulation that happens. And so part of the sleep hygiene that we can do is to make sure that we're adequately preparing and getting ready for sleep by doing some of those things. Yeah, I think that's great. I think there's also a special kind of magic to to, uh, the use of maybe like a white noise machine and doing some guided imagery or something for 10 minutes before sleeping or having some sort of meditation practice for athletes, I think can be really powerful in that regard. Thanks for listening to the AMSSM Sports Medcast. Stay tuned for the second part of our conversation with Dr. Cindy Chang on the topic of sleep medicine. The viewpoints of the participants are their own and do not reflect the viewpoints of University of California, San Francisco, Maine Medical Partners, or the AMSSM.